Welcome to the latest episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. If you've attended the Vancouver International Auto Show recently or have found yourself at the annual ElectraFest event, you've no doubt spotted a very tall, white-bearded, distinguished man in a top hat. That would be electric vehicle evangelist Bruce Stout, and I'm very happy to have him as my guest today. Bruce has been a member of the Vancouver Electric Vehicle Association, or VIVA, for years and served as president with distinction for a couple of those. He's an early EV adopter, having bought a first-gen Nissan Leaf in 2013 and a year later traded in his wife Susan's Toyota Prius for a Tesla Model S. The next year, the couple drove that Tesla from Vancouver to Halifax and back. That return trip marked by their winning the E-Mazing Race, sponsored by Canadian charging station pioneers Sun Country Highway. As Bruce likes to say, since buying their battery electric vehicles, he and Susan have driven over 260,000 kilometers on electrons. Before we get to that interview, though, a couple of observations. A recent Canadian press story, citing a report by environmental think tank International Institute for Sustainable Development, revealed that the British Columbia government gave an estimated $830 million in subsidies for fossil fuels in the 2017-18 fiscal year. The report noted that most of that money went to fossil fuel producers, rather than consumers, in the form of royalty reductions, provincial tax exemptions, and direct investments. I bring this up not to cast derision or to scold the BC government, but to serve as a bit of a reality check to the incessant harping from some quarters about provincial and federal government rebate programs for new electric vehicle purchases. In the past half decade, BC's incentive program, called CEV for BC, has dispersed almost $100 million in the form of direct-to-consumer rebates on new EV purchases, and in so doing has helped spur the adoption rate of electric vehicles in the province. As I reported last week, 1 in 10 new vehicles sold in BC in the first three quarters of this year were zero-emission vehicles. The CEV for BC program has a lot to do with that. Likewise, the federal rebate program is doing the same across the entire country, and Quebec's robust incentive program has that province just behind BC in zero-emission vehicle sales. But of course, there are vocal critics of the program, many of them questioning the logic behind a system that uses taxpayer money to make a new vehicle less expensive for a consumer. Philosophically, I get the argument particularly in the first iteration of rebates that saw owners of $100,000 cars getting money off their luxury vehicle purchase. But just as the fossil fuel sector requires subsidies, obvious from that near $1 billion doled out to that sector by BC alone last year, so too does the nascent electric vehicle sector. I'm reminded of the argument some have against paying the school tax portion of their annual property tax, citing the fact they have no children or that their children have long flown the nest. Well, it's called the greater good, and that's my opinion about the electric vehicle rebates. I live on Vancouver's North Shore, and last week a big overnight windstorm knocked out our power just before midnight. It wasn't restored until some 12 hours later. I had a Hyundai Kona electric for a test vehicle that week, but with a full charge range of more than 400 kilometers, I had no reason to plug it in to charge that night. Even still, It got me thinking about what if the Kona had been plugged in and then I needed that overnight charge to get me to a range that I required for the following day's travels. Obviously, it would have not charged up and I would have been left to use either my gas-powered vehicle to do my day's driving or take the bus. Ironically, a last-minute system-wide bus strike was averted about the same time when our power went out. Anyway, 
Just another reminder, Canada's electric vehicle highway is still littered with potholes. Okay, time to put on our top hats for a chat with Bruce. Well, I'm pleased to uh, welcome a longtime EV advocate in the Vancouver area, Bruce Stout, to the table today. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you very much for having me today. My name is Bruce Stout, that's spelled S-T-O-U-T, and I've been driving an electric car since uh, March of 2013. And between my wife and myself, we've put on probably 270,000 kilometers driving electric. And I've only briefly in my life had two occasions where I haven't driven electric. One was in Europe, where the only car I could rent was a gas-powered car. However, it was a rather nice gas-powered car that had a top speed of 220 kilometers an hour. And just recently, I had the dubious pleasure of driving a 2006 car that was made in Japan. I had 194,000 kilometers on it. It was a five-speed transmission. It was a two-door car. And that was an amazing experience to go back from driving an electric car and all of its advantages to a five-speed manual transmission car, just to put your mind back to where you were before you first drove an electric car. What was the first electric vehicle you ever drove? I was fortunate enough, the first electric vehicle I ever drove was a product made by Nissan. It was called a Nissan Sentra, and it was back in 2010, and it was at the Olympic uh, preview that they brought one into town. So they brought a Nissan Sentra into town with the running gear from a Nissan Leaf, and there was a Nissan Leaf on display. I then drove a Nissan Leaf and purchased one in March of 2013, found it to be an amazing car with the only one small problem, the 120-kilometer range. Uh, The 2013 car was much better, and of course, now they've got cars that... uh, will apparently do well over 300 kilometers, if you can find one. What's the appeal of EVs to you? I mean, it sounds like you embrace them from the beginning. Uh, When we started looking at an electric vehicle, my wife said to me what she was really looking for was she was looking for a vehicle that was quiet, that was smooth, that you didn't have to go to a gas station to fill up because if you're, you're not careful, you have that gasoline smell on your hands. So big advantages today, and quite frankly, it's probably better off to talk to you about the things that really, that she really likes about an electric vehicle, because I'm uh, sort of a geek. So, you know, hey, fact that it's electric, it's technology, that's wonderful. Yeah. The thing she likes the most about the vehicle is you can put five people in the car. This is a Model S you're referring to. Okay. Tesla Model S. We've transitioned to a Tesla Model S. Right. So you put five, and you put five people into a Nissan Leaf too. Yeah. Not quite as comfortably because it's not as big, but a Tesla Model S, very comfortably seat five people. You've yeah. got five heated seats in the car. You can have a conversation inside an electric car in the same volume that I'm using right now to talk to you. Yeah. And that noise level in the car does not change as you go up and downhill, where it doesn't in a gasoline-powered car. The, right. The gasoline-powered car just growls at you, and this one doesn't growl at you. Yeah. So it's a very nice, smooth ride. The acceleration in an electric car is more or less instant. Uh, there's no... And you start off every day with a fully charged car. Yeah. So this is absolutely wonderful. You don't have to go to the gas station. You start off with a fully charged car. In my case, the range is 458 kilometers. And the last thing she really gets a kick out of is coming up to the stoplight and stopping at the stoplight. And there's usually some loud thing that comes up next to her. And sometimes it's American-made muscle car. 
and the light changes, and she hits the pedal, which is the accelerator pedal, not the gas pedal. <laughs> right. He hits the gas pedal. He makes a whole lot of noise, and it's usually a he, and doesn't really go anywhere. And she looks up in the rearview mirror, and there's this person sitting in the driver's seat with this stunned look on their face, watching her taillights disappear on the horizon. So interesting, most people that have sat at this table and talked to me when I asked the question about what appeals to them, um, environment is top of mind. You didn't mention that at all. And the reason I don't mention environment is because all the environmentalists bought their cars in 2012 and 2013. Right. So those people are already on board. They thoroughly understand. The so-called early adopters. Early adopters. They thoroughly understand environment. So the people we're talking to now are the people that don't really consider the environment that important. They're saying, okay, I'm going to vote with my wallet. Yeah. And voting with my wallet means what's my total cost of operation? Now, somebody did a study just recently, and they took a very popular Japanese car. And I don't like to mention product names because there's really not a lot of point. Mm -hmm. Very popular Japanese-made car from a very respected manufacturer. And they compared the total cost of operation over a five- or ten-year period with that car to an electric car. Yeah. You, know, you can pick your electric car. I mean, you can buy a very nice electric car right now for under $54,000, taxes paid, and uh, so your total cost of operation, because you're no longer doing oil changes, oil filter changes, air filter changes, you don't have to worry about transmission problems because there's no transmission. It's just a reduction gear. You're not worried about catalytic converters. You're not worried about alternators. I mean, we'd had this car in 1993 that was made in North America. It was a beautiful car. It was a convertible. My wife loved it. We went through four alternators in its life. We had to get uh, all kinds. The last year we owned the car. Uh, we spent about $5,000 keeping it alive because we had visitors coming from Europe who were 20-year-olds, and we put them in this beautiful red convertible with a black interior, and they drove it up to Whistler twice, and they just loved that car. But it was a money pit. Yeah. So, because, the, the, so the survey that you referred to with this car yep. was a cost was per a cost survey, kilometer, yeah. cost per cost year kilometer. kind of thing. So the more you drive a car, the more an electric car makes sense. Yes. Obviously, there are many people that own electric cars. The reason you're at the table today is your association with Viva, which is the Vancouver Electric Vehicle, Vehicle Association. Association. Yeah. Yes. And that's where we first met. Um, showgoers to the Vancouver Auto Show will probably know Bruce. Um, big, tall, distinguished looking guy with a lovely gray beard and a top hat. Correct. And he's always around electric cars and um, he's always usually talking up electric cars and telling people all the benefits of electric cars. First of all, tell me about Viva. Okay. So I don't speak as an, a uh, representative of the Vancouver Electric Vehicle Association today. I speak right. as myself. Former president. Former president of the Vancouver Electric Vehicle Association. We right. do have people that do speak as on behalf of Vancouver Electric Vehicle Association. Right. I can give you a history of the Vancouver yeah, what, Electric what, what, Vehicle Association, which sure. started 31 years ago. And it started with a group of people that had the opportunity to take custody of a 1912 Detroit electric. Yes. So that's a currently a 107-year-old car that still runs. We've just uh, changed the lead-acid batteries out. We're going back to the nickel-metal hydride batteries, very much on the Edison-style batteries that were in that vehicle. That's going to be in that. The reason for the top hat, of course, is because in a 1912 Detroit electric with this eight-foot-high car... You can certainly get in there, wear your top hat in the car. Woman can wear her bonnet in the car. Yes. And it's it's a different lifestyle driving that car. Yeah. Top speed, 44 kilometers an hour, which in those days was insanely fast. Yeah. Major advantage for the veterinarian who owned the car 
was that he didn't have to keep a stable of horses back in 1912 to be able to go out on calls. Uh, the car was ready to go at a moment's notice. He didn't have to warm up an engine. He didn't have to crank it to start it. Was it so a that, Vancouver area vet? This was a Victoria person. Victoria, okay. Mrs. Florence French was the wife of the veterinarian, Dr. French. Right. And it was her daily driver towards the end. Hmm. And she drove that car to the mid-60s when she uh, retired from driving. And she actually parked the car in the Empress Hotel in the basement. And that's where the car left every day. And the Empress Hotel charged it for her. And away she'd go. Apparently, the person that was the garagist or the uh, the maintenance guy that took after the car was given the car in her will. And he sold it off to a collector who bounced all over the place. 18 or 1986, it was at the Expo World's Fair in Vancouver as a featured exhibit. And then it went off to a museum someplace. The government decided when the government changed, they decided to close the museum. The car was up for grabs. We grabbed it because we didn't want it to go south. I mean, how would you characterize the early membership of the organization? Oh, great. The early membership of Viva were all very technically oriented people. Yes. A lot of them have engineering degrees, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering. These would take a internal combustion engine car, uh, rip the internal combustion engine or ICE engine out of the car, put in a, a battery electric powered or battery powered electric motor in the car, a series of batteries. The early days were lead acid. The major change in 2010 was the coming of the lithium ion phosphate batteries, lithium ion manganese batteries, uh, General Motors came up with a car called a Chevrolet Volt, and Nissan came up with a car called a Nissan Leaf. The Nissan Leaf was an excellent car. I thoroughly enjoyed driving that. I put 63,000 kilometers on that car over three and a half years. At the end of that time, the battery was 95% good, hmm. which means I lost 5% of battery capacity after three and a half years. Yeah. So people that tell you that if you buy one of these electric cars, the battery's going to be dead in a year are just simply blowing smoke in your ear. I recall going to Viva events, the annual event, and this was prior to 2010. And what I recall are pickup trucks and Porsches and all manner of vehicles. Correct. All with, being converted. All being converted with these crazy looking battery packs with wires coming out of them and everything. And it was a very um, do-it-yourself crowd, right? It Absolutely was, correct. It was, yeah. it was wonderful. And I recall going to the show, that first one in 2010, when the Leaf showed up, and it was a real juxtaposition to see a, I mean, it wasn't a mass-produced car, car back then, but it was a, a, you know, a big automaker had built this car. It, it had all the fit and finish of that. Was that a watershed moment for the group? It was a watershed moment for the world when uh, the Nissan produced the first Leaf, at that same show, very shortly. At the same show, we also had a Mitsubishi IMEV that belonged to the city of Vancouver. city of Vancouver apparently drives 35 Mitsubishi IMEVs now mm -hmm. because they've done the total cost of ownership analysis. They're so much cheaper to run. Yeah. And the city of Vancouver has a, a, a duty to look after the city's tax money that's given to it to operate. And when they did the study of the uh, electric car, it just made so much sense from an operating standpoint because where you're going to drive as an official of the city of Vancouver doing a, a home inspection or doing anything like that, well under 100 kilometers a day, the car was ideal for that purpose. So do you find some of the original members are a little put out by how the club is now? Oh, any organization is going to have people ebb and flow, come and go. Right. I, I just ask because it would be if they were backyard tinkerers and garage tinkerers, and now to have these, you know, slickly produced 
$100,000 cars show up at their show, there must be a feeling of, wait a minute, that's not what I got into this for. Well, you know, that's an interesting observation, but the truth is somewhat somewhat 180 degree different from that because what we're getting now is we're getting people that are phoning us or sending us emails and they're saying, hey, I've got this car I want to convert because I think that I can convert a car now cheaper than I can buy one. And you can appreciate that electric cars get wrecked and have accidents at the same frequency as any other car. Yes. So if you have a best example I can think of, uh, we go back to mention that manufacturer Nissan Leaf. Yeah. Uh, just recently, I know of somebody who was in an accident with a Nissan Leaf. He was parked behind a, a, a large pickup truck with a trailer hitch. Somebody uh, didn't stop behind him, hit his car into the pickup truck. The cost to fix the car because it was seriously damaged front and back was approximately $9,000 for parts. The insurance corporation of British Columbia wrote the car off. Now, the batteries weren't damaged. So there's a battery pack for about a three or four-year-old car that can be taken, repurposed, put yeah. into a hobby car, and somebody can convert a car because they've got a quality battery pack that's probably still got a 90% capability of charging. Right. And the motor. And the and motors, the motor, too, I well, guess. Well, the motors, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so that's still a thing. People are converting oh, electric yeah. vehicle. Or but it's, you see, the, the important thing is uh, one of our members, we did a situation where a whole group of members back about seven, five, five or six years ago, went over to Vancouver Island to a place called Arrington. They took a uh, pickup truck. They pulled the gasoline engine out. They put an electric motor in. And the person that did that put a whole series of batteries in the back of the pickup truck. And he ran that for a couple of years. And he was at that time our president. And then later on, what happened was he looked at a new product that was coming from BMW called an i3. And he said, you know, this is an awesome car. It's an aluminum frame. It's a carbon fiber body. It's very efficient. It's very light. It's everything a car could be. BMW spent billions designing this, much more money than any but he could throw at something like that. And he went to sell the truck. Well, the pickup truck was a hobby. He ended up giving it to a school because there is a high school in Delta Senior Secondary where the students are doing drag racers. So he's now driving a BMW i3. And it's a, you know, he was one of the original members of the club. And uh, some of the other original members of the club have gone on and, and bought ready-made cars. Yeah. Because... Uh, best example I can talk about is you can roll your own or you can buy ready-mades. <laughs> and ready-mades make a lot more sense than than trying to come up with the technology yourself. Yeah. I mean, it takes expertise. It takes time. It takes ability. Yep. All these kind of things. That's right. So what we've done is we've opened the driving of electric cars to the people that will benefit most from driving those yes. electric cars. You might say that's the non-technical people. You might also say that there's a whole 50% of the population and they're called females. And they influence the purchase of well over 50% of the cars in North America because nobody's going to buy a car that is significant. Other is going to say, why are we driving this piece of crap? <laughs> and on their own, they buy the other 50% of the cars in North America. Yeah. So now that you have an engineered car that works as an appliance yes. rather than a hobby, it's perfect for them. And we see a um, number of people that come to our organization uh, we have people that come for support. So what we do is you bought this electric car, you want to talk to somebody about the electric car. Who's the best person to talk to? Somebody that owns one. Right. Somebody right. that has read the manual. Right. Like-minded like individuals. Somebody who knows how to operate it. So they come for a couple of meetings and yeah. they get what they want and then they go away, which is fine with us because we are a resource for people that want to buy an electric car 
of people that have bought an electric car. Right. And we do this for free. Today's EV podcast is sponsored by Motorino Electric Scooters, Electric Motorcycles, and Electric Bicycles. Drop by the Vancouver store on West 2nd and test drive the Super Soco TC EV motorcycle, a bike that is the most popular electric motorcycle in Europe. What is distinctive about the Super Soco TC model is it incorporates a blend between the beautiful classic design and the latest technology innovations relating to the battery, motor, and controller. Combined with a well-engineered body, the TC is the perfect piece of urban transportation that brings a smile on your face the moment you twist the throttle. You can see it in the Motorino showroom or check it out at motorino.ca. So looking back to that 2010 moment where the Nissan Leaf showed up at your show, that's almost a decade ago. That's correct. Are we where you thought we'd be 10 years in or are we not as far as at that time? Did you say, you know what, in five years, th these Nissan Leafs are going to be everywhere and, back, they're, and they're still only 2%. Back in the 1960s, I was told by 2010, I'd have a flying car. I'm still waiting for my flying car. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So what happens in any adoption of new technology, people have to make that leap. They have to change. You've been doing something a certain way all your life. I'm asking you to change what you're doing. Now, it's a minor change. I'm suggesting to you that rather than going someplace and buying a substance and putting it in your car to drive it, you're going to be able to fuel your car at home. Okay, that sounds really good, but I don't live in a house. I live in a condominium or a strata title, yeah. and the strata council in my particular building thinks I'm going to spend an astronomical amount of money, and they're not going to give it to me for free. Right. Well, we've solved that problem, and the way they've solved that problem is several municipalities have said, no, all new builds have got to have the availability of charging stations. Right. In your view, what is the tipping point for EVs? Where do we kind of say we've turned the corner and EVs are... Okay, back Here. in 2013 when we bought our original electric car and we would wave to the person that came in an electric car all the time and it was like a, a really little small club. Right. In 2014, we bought the longer range electric car, the Tesla Model S. In 2015, May, we drove it to Halifax and back. So my wife and I have been across Canada both directions in an electric vehicle. Yeah. And it's possible to do that. Right. What's happening now as you drive along Vancouver you'll see electric cars everywhere. Yes. On my particular street, my neighbor in 2015 bought his electric car after seeing me drive mine for a couple of years and realizing that it was a perfectly useful vehicle and going for rides in it. But he was simply waiting until he could wring the last bit of value out of his gasoline-powered car, right. which incidentally had holes in the seats and had a standard shift. But he wrung the last bit of value out of that car, and the Scrap It program came in and offered him $3,000 to get rid of that. So that's when he jumped. So what we're seeing happening now is somebody has a gasoline-powered car, and they're trying to wring the last bit of value out of that gasoline-powered car, and then they're going to move to electric. But most of the people we're talking to now who, who see us at an event or see our electric cars go for a ride in one of them are saying, my next car will be electric. Yes, I hear that a lot too. However, getting back to your point about supply, that's right. a problem. Yes. Well, it is a problem for certain manufacturers, right. which I find absolutely fascinating. Yeah. There's this little startup in Fremont, California called Tesla that has the ability to deliver cars 
like no one else can. Two or three weeks, you can have a car. Yeah. Uh, the General Motors has stepped up. They have Chevrolet Bolts in town right now, and you can get those. Yeah. So they've stepped up. I think in fairness, though, a lot of those manufacturers are not based in North America, and they're feeding other markets. Norway, for yep. example. Oh, Norway's a huge market. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, they almost get first dibs just because of geographic closeness. So, so I, I, I totally appreciate what you're saying because I hear the same thing from people. My next car is going to be an EV, but until there are enough of them. So, again, yep. the tipping point to me seems to be when there's more of a walk down to your dealership. I want that car. Yep. Two days later, you've got that car. Well, you can do that in a dealership right now in Vancouver, but you can only do them in one dealership. Yeah, and also a very expensive car. $55,000 taxes in. That's pretty expensive. I agree with you. Right. But you can go into Port Moody to a dealership and say, I want to buy that Nissan Leaf that's on the the used Nissan Leaf that's yes. sitting there. Right. Twenty-two dollars to $25,000 changes hands and you drive away the next day. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to buy a used car, yeah. just about every dealer in Vancouver has got an inventory of used electric vehicles yeah. that they brought up from the United States. Right. That's an interesting prospect too when you're starting to see second generation cars. And it's huge. Yeah. They are selling... Um, the one particular dealership was selling one vehicle a day. Yes. Now, that's absolutely huge for, right, for right. an electric car. Right. What you said about Vancouver is true, that you see many of them. But to take it outside of Vancouver, I was in Edmonton recently. And there there are – I mean, to see an electric vehicle gets back to your point. The, the EV owners in Edmonton probably wave at each other because there are so few of them. Absolutely correct. So, again, the tipping point is is regional in a sense. But at, at, a, at a national level, it seems like we're still five, ten years away. I would I would hope we weren't that far away. Now, one of the interesting analyses is if you buy an electric car in BC, and remember the $55,000 electric car. So the $55,000 in BC car gets you a $5,000 federal rebate and a $3,000 provincial rebate. So that's $8,000 off a $50,000 car, right, right? Right. If I buy the same car in Edmonton, Alberta, I get a $5,000 federal rebate. And I do not pay 7% provincial sales tax. Right. Now, what well, five sevens is 35. Yeah. So to buy that electric car in Edmonton yeah. is actually cheaper right. than to buy it in BC yeah. because there's no sales tax. Yeah. Now, yeah. when the Edmonton people finally put that together and figure right. it out. But they're also behind in an infrastructure sense too. The number well, of charging stations. That, I was on an EV drive there and it was yeah. apparent they need that too. So again, it gets to a regional sense. In Vancouver, we're kind of at the... The, the top of the pyramid, in a sense, in Canada for EV adoption, certainly. Okay. I don't want to make this the Tesla story, but <laughs> uh, you know that I have one. You yeah. know that I drive it. I've been across Canada twice. Yeah. You know that I or maybe don't know that I go up to Edmonton at least once a year, and this year we went up there twice. Yeah. And it took us about 19 hours to drive there, and we did six stops roughly every two hours to plug the car into the charging station network. Yeah. And there's a charging station network and there's eight chargers in Edmonton at the South Center Mall. That's Tesla chargers. That's Tesla chargers, right? right? And Super, there are other chargers. chargers in Edmonton for right. other manufacturers. Yep. Yep. I'm not saying there aren't, but okay. it just is not as okay. robust. Now, the number one car manufacturer in the world is Volkswagen. And Volkswagen has announced Electrify Canada and they're going to put charging stations into all of these different places because their serious electric car called a VW ID Cross is going to come to this particular part of the world next right. year or the year after. Yes. And there are going to be a whole series of other cars after that. Right. So they're putting in the infrastructure first because they recognize it's a chicken and egg situation. Yeah. And we have to have the charging stations in there first. And once we put the charging stations in, people will see the charging stations and then buying the electric car is a no-brainer. Right. So 
I don't think it's going to be five, ten years. I think it's going to be a lot shorter than that. I think it's going to be under five years. And I think what's going to happen is people are going to see the charging stations. They're going to talk to people that have bought these cars, the pioneers. Uh, there's a street that I walk up and down in North Vancouver on a daily basis. It started off with uh, no electric cars on it. And then I talked to somebody about buying an electric car. He bought one. Somebody further on down the street has got the same brand, and there's two others by another brand, and then somebody else has moved in. There's six of these cars on yeah. the street right now, yeah. and it's going to replicate because right. people are going to talk to each other, and they're going to say, yeah, you know, I don't know why it took so long to buy this. It works perfectly. Right, which brings us to the last question. When in your mind will Viva be irrelevant? Oh, I have people that are Viva members that think we're irrelevant right now. Right. My One of my best friends who was the treasurer of Viva says – no, it's going to go away. We, it's not going to be needed anymore. It would People be like having a combustion engine club. <clears throat> yes, well, like, but wait a minute. Combustion engine clubs are huge. Well, yes. Because if you go down Corvette any Corvette club. Exactly. They're right. all there. Right, right. So when will Viva be irrelevant? I think it's going to be a while because what we offer as an organization right now is we help people understand how these things work. Now then, remember we talked about the shortage of electric cars. So let us pretend that I have just been hired by a new car dealership, a BC dealership, and my requirement to keep my job is to sell 10 vehicles a month because that's when I started getting my bonus. And that's when I start making $36,000 a year, which isn't a lot of money, but that's what, that's a reality. I'm going to, my dealership is going to get maybe five electric cars a month if we're lucky more likely four electric cars a month. You can bet anybody who works for a dealership right now that isn't going to see an electric car till January or February is not focusing on selling electric cars because they do not get paid until the customer drives off the lot, all the paperwork is done, and a month later, they get the paycheck, they get the commission. And these people live on commissions. Yeah. So what has to happen is the manufacturers, and I'm not talking about all manufacturers, I'm talking to all the rest of the ICE manufacturers, internal combustion engine manufacturers, have to get serious about supplying these cars. And they have to supply them in quantity. And when that happens, then we'll have a situation where things will start turning very rapidly. Right. And the, and the dealers will start focusing on selling these cars. In the meantime, the Vancouver Electric Vehicle Association is a group of people that own these cars. They'll tell you the truth because they have no profit to make our membership is $25 for a full year. You don't actually have to join to ask us some questions, but we'd like you to help support what we do because it costs money for us to rent locations to do our meetings. And we will help you to make your decision. We will also put you in a car that somebody owns and you can talk to that person. And every member that owns a different car thinks it's the best car in the world right. and has no ax to grind to sell you that car. So, I see us being around for a really long time because we will transition like every other car club has done to a group of people that know things about the car that you don't read in the manual. Right. Sounds good. So we've got a future. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for allowing me to present uh, electric cars to people. If anybody has any questions, it's www.veva.ca. Please go to the website. You'll find your, all of your questions answered and see you at the Vancouver Auto Show in 2020. We'll be there doing test drives. 100th anniversary of that show, by Absolutely. the way. And it's going to be a big one. When I moved to Vancouver from Ontario 30 years ago, what attracted me to the place, apart from its great outdoors, was its characters. Sadly, many of those characters don't seem to exist anymore, as the place seems more suited to the Gucci set 
than the eccentric set in 2019. But Bruce Stout is one of the holdouts. Sure, he's over-the-top passionate about electric vehicles, but he's also got that sense of originality you rarely find in people these days. His top hat and flowing beard might be his calling cards, but his true nature is one of curiosity and obviously sustainability. When I first attended a Viva event years ago, I was delighted to come across all kinds of similar characters. A guy who had converted his Porsche to all-electric over here, a fellow who was in the midst of putting batteries in a pickup truck over there. Some would see nerds, I saw originals. With a growing number of new EVs coming to Canada, Viva's membership is changing. Those so-called nerds are being outnumbered now by new members who are owners of -of out-of-the-box electric vehicles built by century-old automakers. But attend a Viva meeting. In fact, check out any of the many electric vehicle associations that are scattered across the country, and there will be still a few characters with a garage full of parts and a dream of making their own electric vehicle. I hope that never changes. That's it for this episode. Thanks to my guest Bruce Stout, producer extraordinaire Darm Makwana, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. Be sure to check out next week's episode as I'll be talking with Harvey Socher, a Vancouver man who embarked on an epic North American tour in his Audi e-tron in celebration of his late wife's memory, fulfilling an electric dream the two of them shared together. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedinpostmedia.com. For your daily dose of automotive news, views, and reviews, be sure to check out driving.ca. Subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.